Welcome to In 20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. Ride the wave of change. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, skepticism, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. Good evening, America. This is Bill Shannity, and you're watching The Six on VIX News. Now, folks, we've got a story that's as shocking as it gets. Two months ago, as the Moonshot program crew was set to return to Earth, one member decided to stay behind on the lunar surface. Despite attempts by her teammates to bring her back, she managed to evade capture and disappeared into the moon cannon's tunnels. And today, we bring you the tragic news of her death, the first suicide in space. It's a disturbing turn of events as she live-streamed her own demise. We can't show you that footage for obvious reasons. On a brighter note, let's talk about the weather. We had a spectacular summer day across the country, with sunshine, light breezes, and temperatures ranging from the mid-60s to mid-80s. It's shaping up to be a glorious summer. No rain or storms in sight, and we've got comfortable humidity levels throughout the 48 states. Now, I don't usually cover the weather, but tonight's news has some interesting context. The blue states are putting on quite a show. They're investing fortunes in weather warning towers, complete with sensors and air sirens. And get this, they're attaching boats to buildings. Yes, you heard me right. Life rafts mounted outside second-story windows 100 kilometers inland. It's a spectacle, folks, as you can see by these pictures. I don't know what they're thinking, but some homeowners are going all out with cable nets draped over their houses. I mean, seriously? Cable nets? And that's not all. Brace yourselves. Some are building brick walls right outside their homes. It's a competition for the ugliest house on the block. What happened to a flower bed and a picket fence? But wait, it gets even better. Others are piling dirt against the sides of their houses. Dirt! I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like better homes and gardens to me. And get this, some genius is spraying the entire outside of their house with mold foam. Yeah, you heard me right. A mold foam that's going to keep growing for years. It's like a larger-than-life poop emoji, folks. But why are they going to such extremes? Well, it's all part of their doomsday narrative. The left needs to make their beliefs seem real, even if it means going to ridiculous lengths. It's the plight of extreme ideology. And frankly, it's starting to look ridiculous to outsiders. I can't help but feel a bit sad for them. Give extremists enough rope, and they'll hang themselves with it. Climate doomsdayers may not have intended it, but they're driving real estate in Alaska and in space sky high. A demand for habitats in space far exceeds the pace with which they can be made, even with the speed of today's robots. Spend it if you got it, that's what I say. Will all those cramped space homes be worth as much a year from now when everyone realizes they don't need them after all? On to something a bit unusual. You can now pay people to remember you after you pass away. Forever Popular will set up an investment policy that pays real people to go over old videos, photos, and remembrance of you on a yearly, monthly, or even weekly basis. The remembrance sessions are recorded and posted online. But if you're like me and know you're going to heaven, a product like this seems a bit pointless. In foreign news, it seems Canada is taking a page out of the American playbook. They're building a border wall along their southern border, and get this, it's on average two meters higher than ours. I guess imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Canada, always trying to keep up with the U.S.
The biggest data farming companies that pay the best go out of business, and Madge loses employment with them. Instead of looking for other data farming jobs, she increases the amount of time she practices Tai Chi. She wakes up at 4 a.m., steps outside her tiny house, and starts the stretching and warm-up exercises right outside her door. The other tiny houses on the hill remain dark and silent. She lives at Happy Belly 7, where people sell ultra-healthy microbiomes in their solids for medical fecal transplants. Now, in her early 40s, she wears a gray smock and Tai Chi pants. When she wears clothes that don't show the shape of her breasts or the curve of her lower back, occurrences of social tension lessen. Not that she has anything against sexiness or horniness. Sometimes she shows up at social night at Happy Belly 4 about a kilometer down the road. She gets with younger guys mostly because younger guys won't want to be her boyfriend the next day. She likes things simple. No thinginess. She doesn't like thinginess. Things, stuff, having, coveting. She likes that feeling like she's pinching the moment. It's hard to explain. Happy Belly has ten facilities in Vermont. She must choose partners who work for Happy Belly. Sex with an outsider will mix unhealthy microbes with her healthy microbiome, and her solids won't pass for sale. Some people wouldn't work for a company that dictates who you can and can't have sex with. But she gets it. She cuts her light brown hair very short and forgets about it until it touches her neck. Even when a robot will cut your hair for 30 cents, she cuts her own hair with a pair of scissors without looking in the mirror. When someone offered to lend her power clippers, she politely refused, saying, I like to cut it by hand. She pinches the moment when she cuts it by hand. Tai Chi is perfect for her. Which is better, to be rich and have poor health, or to be poor and have great health? Why do people take great care of their houses, businesses, and stuff, but not their bodies? Her body is her house. It is her car. Her body is priceless compared to a new jacket, a fancy blouse or whatever. Her body is thinginess, but the least so. Rather, it's a population of tiny life forms. When her cells are happy, they sing together and give her happiness. As she glides through the choreographed movements, the sun rises. Her fellow solids producers come out of their homes, and each does their thing. One sweeps webs from the outside of the little windows on her little house. Another throws torn bread onto the ground for birds and squirrels. Madge continues her exercises. At seven, a Lutonbot steps outside the big building, it used to be a motel, and rings a pole-mounted bell. She and the others walk down the hill toward the bell, passing flower beds, rocking chairs, a loom, and a pickleball net outside tiny homes. Trees shade patches of grass and dirt on the ground. In the bathroom, she passes Reed on a femme in her fifties who stands in front of the mirror brushing her hair with one hand. She waves a paper fan with the other hand. The fan supports full-color video and shows time-lapse flower blossoms. She wears large earrings that dangle all over the place. Some people love to surround themselves with clutter going so far as to hang clutter off themselves. Radon has a new bone mount between her eyebrows. Embedded in bone and seamlessly bonded with skin, they're thought of as beauty embellishments, and they can be used to hold AR glasses. Redon's glasses don't have sidearms. They fasten to her bone mount. The lenses curve on the sides, fitting to her face. She says, You never look in the mirror, Madge. You could look so cute if you only spend a little time bringing it out. 
Madge continues walking and says, Thank you? Redden says, I never see you spend anything. What do you do with the money you make? Online gambling? Madge lies. Redon nods emphatically and says, Oh, that makes sense. In the stall, Madge uses double toilets. The smaller one is for pee and the larger one is for poo. She waves her hand over sensors on each to log her output. That output is worth a lot at hospitals where they need stool transplants. Outside, she walks to a picnic table where a Luton bot brings covered breakfast trays and sets them down. Madge grabs a tray and sits. The scrambled eggs may be chemically close to chicken eggs, but fungi grew them. Oh good, they served pop seeds today. These are like popcorn, but made from genetically combined seeds. They have pop pumpkin seed, pop sesame seed, and pop sunflower seed. Delicious. Madge eats quietly as others take seats at the table and chat. Birds swoop down and land on the dirt to wait for people to throw them scraps. A cheerful Sue with funny femme eyes points at a chickadee and says, Look, it's Nas. I haven't seen him for days. Rudolph, with hobbit-like features, says, You know the birds' names? They all look the same. Sue says, My assistant put AR name tags on all of them for me. Do you want me to give you their name tags? Rudolph says, Um, sure. Sue says, I've given names to all the little birds, squirrels, and bunnies in these parts. My assistant can even tell me things like how old they are, who their babies are, what markings they have, if they've been injured before. Rudolph says, You seriously named a bird Felix? A floppy, leaning chain-link fence separates the yard from the road. People at the table exchange raised eyebrows when chanting from down the road reaches their ears. Madge looks up as the first of the Earth Memorial Parade walks down the road. At least a hundred people slowly walk, faces covered with veils, wearing long gowns and dark red gloves. They hold up streamers on long sticks. On windy days, the streamers ripple above them, but today the streamers show little life. The mournful chanting grows louder and continues for several minutes, then fades as the parade continues down the road. Talk at the table regains momentum only to stop when everyone hears the same announcement over their links. Pat, their boss, says, Good morning, peeps. I hope you're feeling well. First of all, a reminder, do not watch the news too much. It causes you to flood your bodies with all the stress hormones that downgrade our product. I had to ask a femme to leave yesterday because she is too worked up about what happened with the moon cannons shutting down. Her solids were not passing the tests. I know this news sounds serious. I'm not asking you to pretend it isn't happening. I need you all to keep in mind. Calmness comes before all else. However you process the news, make sure you always stay calm. And avoid talking with fellow microbial life caretakers about the news. Give everyone a chance to handle it in their own way. Yes, the rest of the world is going crazy, but it's your job to stay calm. Okay, I know I just told you to ignore the news, but now I have some safety training for you. First off, the gym is being converted into a shelter. If you hear the sirens, go there without delay. In the meantime, when you have an hour or so available, go there and have a look at the emergency equipment. Your assistant will explain everything to you. We have mats that expand when they get wet and can be used like sandbags. We have hooded vests with built-in cooling systems to bring down your core temperature. 
We have inflatable canoes. Check it out when you have a chance. Okay, that's it for today. Peace be yours. A femme at the table says, Have you heard of the renter's survival shelter? It's a kit that you can use to convert a closet into a shelter. Do you think I could turn my tiny home into a shelter? Madge watches her with a slight smile. She chews bread made with strawberry flour. A man wearing a tank top and powder blue scarf around his neck says, I've doubled my transcendental meditation time and I still worry about the shutting down of Moonshot. Radon reaches over and snags a pop sunflower seed puff off his plate. She says, In the 20s, people were scared of water scarcity. You younger folk may not know, but we were so scared agriculture would collapse, but everything worked out. The man says, For our country. A femme with springy, curly hair asks Redden, You guys had free water? I saw an old picture of someone spraying their yard with water. Crazy. The man says, I gotta say, this is different. Scientists are begging billionaires to restart the moon cannons. Curly Hair says, They'll never do that. A man at the other end of the table announces in a loud voice, Hey, you heard the boss, no scare talk. Within months, new companies form to fill the growing need for disaster preparedness. Robots build doomsday bunkers. Another company installs flood tanks below basements. A firewall rental company gets on the list of Forbes Global 2000 within a month of going public. Giantess puts together its fully automated survival bunker construction companies. Only three people play parts in forming and operating these companies. The rest is all automated. Robots building specialized robots, AI filling roles such as architects, and support from existing giantess services, speed up this process so that what took years to organize now takes hours. Specialized robots and equipment are built locally, in every state all at once. AI that plan the new building sites and run the equipment can be downloaded. New manufacturing techniques make building materials available locally no matter where the location is. Madge walks around to the front office and enters. Behind the counter, an AR hologram of Jenny the Office avatar looks up at her and says, Madge, can I help you? Madge says, I'd like to sign for a day outing. Jenny says, Where are you going? Madge says, For a walk. I won't go far. Jenny freezes for a moment, then says, Let me know when you return. Madge takes her morning walk to the wealthy side of town. She likes to see wealth. It makes her feel power over it and not needing it. Much ado about nothing. Almost every street has some kind of robot-run construction project going on. Every two blocks, the weather monitor and alarm towers go up. With truss beams, they stand as high as the trees. The sirens, when they test them, sound like World War II air sirens. Robots build flood walls around homes. Flatbed trucks with drilling rigs that go through the beds dig flood wells in yards. Robots with stilt-like legs spray mold foam onto the outsides of houses whose windows are covered with paper. New, super-bright, reflective roofs are installed. She stops and stares at graffiti that says, Find love. She picks a dandelion and places it on the brick ledge over the graffiti, then continues walking. A house is lifted on jacks and a deep pit is being dug below it. 
One conventional house was torn down and a dome home is being built in its place. Houseboats fit to ride out hurricanes sit in yards. Bright orange with small round windows, they look waterproof. On the shopping block, heat relief centers have opened in previously unoccupied store spaces. One shelter occupies a small space where bank machines used to run. With all this activity, she hardly sees any people, only figures inside cafes and passengers in autocabs. On her way back, she passes by the indoor pea patch in what used to be a youth dance club. Preppers offer training and help for people who want to put together their stay-alive supplies. A man wearing camo with a bent nose says, I'm not saying something will happen with the climate, but I've never ignored one of the possible dangers. This double wall tent comes with AC. It's battery powered. You can take it with you everywhere. What happens if you get stuck in an elevator during a heat wave? All this time, more wrinkles form on her forehead and her eyebrows make a V shape. Instead of another round of Tai Chi, Madge goes into her tiny house and sits on her puffer cot. Signing to switch her glasses to VR mode, she says, Assistant, show me properties for sale near me. She flies through the 3D simulation of her neighborhood, updated in real time by countless cams. People and cars appear and move down the street, sometimes disappearing just to reappear further down the road. Assistant puts boxes around the properties up for sale. As Madge flies around, she tightens her diaphragm as a habit of reducing stress. Down the road from Happy Belly 7 stands the remains of a two-story house in thick woods. At some point in the past, the woods used to be row after row of houses. She flies about the house, inspecting it as best as she can. She can't fly into it or get a good look in the windows, and the back isn't there because that part of the simulation is missing. But from what she can see, there are no signs of squatters. No paths. No solar in any windows. No rain catchment tarps. Madge has lived an ascetic life and saved her earnings. She signs, What's my account balance? Assistant says, You currently have $9,350,925.57. She signs, How much is this property? Assistant says, The town of South Royalton is selling this property for $30. She signs, Purchase. Assistant says, do I have your permission to install Realty Navigator AI? She says, yes. Assistant says, hello, I'm Realty Navigator. I've been added to your assistant. Would you like me to sign all the documents on your behalf to purchase this property? Or should I give the documents to you to sign? She signs, take care of all of it. Assistant says, the property is now in your name. She leaves the world simulation and signs to search online for another hour. Finally, she looks at a purchase for something that costs over $3 million. Her heart pounds harder than it has for years. She's not supposed to get too excited. Listen closely. The money should mean little to you. You thought you had conquered ego, but your savings account has taken the place of ego. Forgive yourself. You're an animal and develop needs. And you've been in the habit of not spending money for so long. I understand. It makes you feel safe. But your money isn't going to be worth anything if the climate descends into chaos. Your money is your safety net and the time has come to make use of it. 
She sits on the edge of her cot, patting her cheeks with her hands. Just do it. If you really want to be free, you should give all that money to a family who needs it. Before she knows what she's doing, she reaches out and air taps the purchase button. A new screen fills her AR. Thank you for your purchase. Her heart lifts with buyer's euphoria. At the same time, her gut plummets with buyer's remorse. Three million dollars, this is insane. What's her problem? She's supposed to be so free of material wants. And all this time, she's been the biggest hoarder of all. She needs to meditate on this, but do it another day. She stands, briskly brushes the front of her outfit off, steps outside, and looks up at the clear blue sky. Two days later, she walks down a road where abandoned buildings relent to the steady growth of woods. A breeze blows and she can smell pollen heavy in the air. Passing the shell of a pickup truck, she walks in the middle of the road because piles of broken brick and other debris clutter the sides. A lone brick chimney stands among trees. Vines completely cover a decommissioned electricity substation. Ahead, two new cargo containers sit on the road. High above them, two sky cranes hover, attached to the containers by carb cables. As thick as thread, the cables can only be seen when they reflect sunlight and shine. Madge stands between the containers and the decrepit house she bought and watches a dozen half-height constructor bots move between the house and the containers. They unload one container and then begin to load it with dirt and rocks that they haul out of the house. The next day at the breakfast table, she and her co-workers are introduced to two new employees. One used to work as a hospital director and the other worked six years as a divorce attorney. Both look disorientated. The attorney wears a crisp button-down and cargo shorts. Both Madge and Redon finish eating at the same time and walk up the hill together. Redon says, I give them a few weeks. Madge says, Who? Redon says, The two career types. They don't belong here. Madge says, they could adapt. Redden says, nah, they're probably loaded. They don't need to work. The only reason they're here is this is one of the last jobs left. Wait until they find out this isn't a job. This is more like vacation at a nunnery. Surprising herself, Madge breaks out with a belly laugh. As Madge practices her Tai Chi, Jenny AI announces over her link, Madge, I have a package for you. Madge towels off and heads to the office. In the office, Jenny appears to sit behind the counter, looking straight ahead. A giantess robot waits for face confirmation. Once it sees Madge, one of its compartments opens. It takes out a package and hands it to her. As it rolls out on legs with wheels for feet, she pulls the strip on the envelope and reaches in. A notice appears in her AR as she pulls out a pen. Madge says... Jenny, I want to take a day trip. Jenny says, Where to? Madge says, I found a spot in the woods where I want to go meditate. It isn't very far. Jenny says, Don't forget to check back in. On the road, Madge clicks on the notification. Assistant says, This is a request to install a new skill to my skill set. Should I install it? Madge says, Sure. Assistant says, 
Congratulations, your Sanctum installation is complete. In your hand, you're looking at a chip pen from Sanctum. It'll only work for Madge O'Reilly. Place the end with the hole against your skin. This will inject a key chip under your skin. It's best to choose an area of skin where other chips aren't implanted. Madge does so. The pen clicks. She pulls it away to reveal a red point on her arm. Assistant says, The first time you use this key, I'll give you a tour. Madge quickens her pace. At the house, the robots have left tracks on the porch, steps, and in the yard. The area smells like fresh dirt and cut grass. The tracks will fade with time. She stands quietly and looks around for many minutes. A feral cat steps out of the woods and lies on the road to sunbathe. Madge climbs the steps. The front door is cracked open. She'll have to get some kind of lock for it. Inside, plants grow on the floor and all the other flat surfaces. Fungi and mold feast on the old house. The shredded remains of a curtain sway where a breeze comes in through a broken window. The couch has caved in on itself. It's rotted so much. The skeleton and feathers of a bird rest in the foyer. Gentle thumping comes down the hall and first one dog bot and then a second come into the living room and scan her. She holds out her arm to make sure they receive the code from the new RF chip. They don't move, and red lights on their heads turn to blue, so she enters. Assistant says, You're near your sanctum hatch. The arrow shows you where it is. An arrow glows in the hallway cast in darkness. She walks to the back of the living room and into the hall. The dog bots start thumping around the hollow-sounding wooden floor. Her AR highlights in green a square on the floor, where the floorboards have been cut away. She'll have to find something to cover that. Piles of old garbage should do. Or does it matter when the sentry dogs are here? Assistant says, When you touch the door, it'll open. The door will only open when your skin makes contact while you're still alive. If you die, the key won't work anymore. You can always tell me to turn the key off if you don't want anyone to force you to open the door. If the internet is out, you can turn the key off yourself by going into link settings and searching for sanctum key settings. Would you like me to show you how? She says, no. She reaches down and places her fingertips on the square. Gears turn and thick bars slide. The square opens on safe hinges. The passage goes straight down, lit from below. A platform raises until it becomes flush with the floor. With assistant guiding her, she steps onto the platform and stands away from the walls as she descends. Above, the trapdoor closes, and an airtight seal hisses. Under that, a second door slides into place, cutting off the outside world. The platform descends much deeper than she'd expect. The depth starts to scare her. It seems like it goes five stories down or something like that. It could be more. As a rule, she always under-exaggerates all guesses and estimations. Assistant says, Your shelter is airtight and radiation-proof. The trapdoors can withstand the blast of a nuclear bomb. The platform stops next to a doorway into a large room. The room seems impractical. It's so big. Two, maybe three tiny homes could fit inside of it. She enters. The walls are a pale blue and the lighting is soft. Assistant says, this room houses a kitchen, toilet, bath basin, Murphy bed, desk. It continues talking and she walks around. Thermal conductive walls and floors. Madge jumps when a Lutonbot enters from a second doorway. Assistant says, 
Your robot is loaded with repair and maintenance skills. It cleans, cooks, and grows your food. You can load it with any additional skills you desire to subscribe to. At your desk on your right, you have access to the computer where you can see CCTV, monitor radiation levels, air pressure, temperature, control your sentry bots, monitor air quality, radio. Oh my goodness. The assistant keeps talking and talking. How's she supposed to remember all this? Assistant shows her a closet jam packed with machines that grow food. One machine uses microbes to grow meats, milk, and eggs. Another machine grows plant flesh such as tomato, broccoli, and corn. Assistant explains that she can order microbes engineered to grow her favorite food. She can grow anything edible, from spices to pasta, but she should order microbes for her favorite foods now while the world market still exists. Another closet contains machines that filter the air and water. A continually self-cleaning liquid cleans the air that passes through it in bubbles. One machine grows new filters. A robot arm switches out the filters. The old ones go to feedstock for the microbes that grow food. Here, she can check on the water tank and backup water tank. When outside air is safe, a pump can draw it in. But if the land is flooded above, all intakes close. The shell of the entire shelter is as watertight as a submarine. If, for some reason, the entire Earth is blown to smithereens, the shelter can provide a habitat in space. She begins to suspect that this sort of thing is some people's wet dream. Do people need a shelter to be as watertight as a submarine? How much of this is tech-flexing? This place has separate toilets for crap and pee. She knows all about that. Filtered pee produces drinkable water, and what's left is added to pre-feed stock. Crap and compost get mixed into pre-feed stock. A machine squeezes out most of the water, grinds the ingredients, and flattens them onto a slow-moving belt that moves under a lamp. Algae grow off the ingredients under the lamplight and are ground into feedstock. Dedicated fungi can turn the feedstock into all the edible foods, such as yeast-derived milk and yeast-derived banana flesh. These systems complete a cycle made to keep her fed and alive, and they all run on electricity. Everything is in a ready state and won't switch on until she activates a total system start. When she does that, a century battery will power up. This is a microbial power cell that runs on sulfur. It's very expensive and puts out enough power to run a truck and two cars non-stop for over a hundred years. It could most likely keep everything in the shelter running for two hundred years, but it does begin to lose voltage after a century. For redundancy, a pantry contains food sealed in microbe-free containers, with shelf lives of a few centuries. In case she may be able to leave the bunker after a system start, a pack contains supplies such as rope, a knife, a portable water filter, and even a straw that produces electricity when she blows through it. An armory cabinet contains a 40mm pistol, tasewear, a bulletproof jumper in her size, and enough room for additional weapons she may want to add. Assistant offers her a link for Femmes Got Arms, a popular tube channel devoted to loud femmes waving tools of murder around in the air and joking about how they wish it came in pink. A medbot, which the Lutonbot can put on like a chest pack, can handle most medical emergencies like clogged windpipes, broken legs, bullet wounds, and gangrene. It can even take out an appendix. Stores of powder blood can be hydrated for medical emergencies. Passing in front of a mirror over the bath basin, she's struck by how unsuited she looks to her surroundings. She looks like a hobo monk. Her clothes, though well cared for, are worn and dusty. 
Her surroundings, on the other hand, could be a space station interior. She doesn't know what the shelter is made out of, but it isn't made out of concrete or steel. Does she really own this spaceship buried in the Earth? It feels absurd. Finally, Assistant shows her one large, empty room crammed with wide shelves. It says, This room is for all your personal items. Sanctum suggests you make sure to fill it with your favorite books, movies, heirlooms, anything that will keep you entertained and nourish your happiness. Choosing the right items for this room may be the key to your survival. Make this place a home, not a prison. Put a musical instrument in here you can learn to play, arts and crafts, fitness equipment, items that help you remember family and friends. Enough to keep you busy for years. No matter how you feel about companion bots, this may be a situation where having one could save your life. I cannot emphasize how important this is. Your sanity may rest on what you put in this room. I even suggest you spend a few days in here to get ideas about what you will want here to help you pass the time. Don't assume the internet will remain working during an emergency. This facility is designed to keep you alive, but it's up to you to come up with a strategy for keeping yourself sane in a confined space. Things, things, things. Everyone thinks that people need things, but things take away more than they give. She asks Assistant to turn everything off when she goes. A week later, she returns and walks into the empty room meant for personal items. She places a giantess box full of items meant to care for a newborn on one of the shelves. Once again, she asks Assistant to turn everything off on her way out. Kelly has traveled for over a year. She can't travel abroad, so she sticks to U.S. destinations. At 23, she wears a tan hat with a super-wide brim and an arrow silk scarf covering her neck. Sitting at a transparent table on a patio outside a restaurant in Eleven Lakes Mall in Rocket Alley, she sips from a tall glass. The glass ceiling high above mostly silences the sounds of rockets taking off, though sometimes she can feel a rumble and the indoor birds take flight and make circles after each launch. Crowds of people move past. Half the people here wear swimsuits as they hurry to an artificial lake and its adjacent water park. The dehumidified air is cool and they wrap themselves in towels to stay warm. On the other side of the flow of pedestrians, augmented reality centers offer padded physical environments to enhance AR experiences. In the Minecraft Center, Real robot arms place gray cubes that hold together with magnets as the players build Minecraft structures they can climb on. Each cube is a meter high. The players swing gray, padded tubes that AR turns into swords, axes, and shovels. She watches but hardly sees. Each day of her vacation has seemed longer than the last. The question that won't leave her alone has grown louder. What does she do now? She can't quote vacation unquote for the rest of her life. The idea makes her feel miserable. A lifetime of strangers and strange places. Airports, hotels, restaurants. Variations of waiting rooms. It all feels empty and disconnected. When she has a chat with someone on a train, bar, or some other public place, they often ask for her social media names, assuming she's posting her extended vacation daily. She tells them she isn't posting and they give her funny looks. Why travel if you're not going to post? A femme jogs by, but her head looks like a giant cartoon mouse head. 
This sort of thing has become normal in the short time that AR glasses have replaced foldables. You can wear AR fashion. Everyone who enables community AR, and everyone does because they'd miss too much if they didn't, will see your AR fashion. These can be small like animated jewelry, or large like a person who looks entirely like a polar bear. Kelly could say, switch off community AR, and see what the person really looks like. Sometimes she does, especially to see what other femmes look like. Then she says, switch it back on, and goes back to seeing people sporting capes of flames, for example. She also pulls her glasses down and looks over the top to strip AR from the world. Lots of robots have AR components. The mall robots all have AR glass cubes spinning over their heads that say, tap for help. A femme is followed by a squid and it turns out it's her robot. The alterations aren't just visual. You can make your voice sound different. On a tour of an indoor grape orchard, she heard a man speaking with the voice of a famous actor. He certainly had to subscribe to such a flourish. Kids run by with AR balloons bobbing behind them. AR camouflage and giant cowboy hats are popular in Rocket Alley, Texas. A femme in LA went topless and wore an AR top in public instead. When people noticed, she said she'd been doing it for a few months without anyone reacting. Real-life fashion sales are down. Designer clothes and name brands sell AR equivalents to their physical merchandise. Real clothes that offer comfort are overtaking sales of dressier clothes because peeps can wear fancier AR over comfortable clothes and not have to worry about cleaning and being careful with pricey tangibles. Sales of wedding dresses, tuxedos, and graduation gowns have dropped to nearly zero. Makeup and plastic surgery sales have gone down. AR makeup looks fresh all day and people can change the way their bodies look with an app. They can have taller foreheads and bigger breasts as far as everyone else can see. Not only can you change your hair color on a whim, but give yourself extra long eyelashes. Kelly has considered making herself look like a different person, but that won't keep her safe. Cams everywhere still record what people really look like. No, she chooses wide brim hats instead. Hats. At a medical kiosk, she puts her finger through an opening and feels a prick of pain. Assistant says, The hormones present in your blood indicate high levels of stress and anxiety. The age of the hormones indicates chronic stress. Would you like a living medicine that'll limit how much stress you can feel? She nods. A billfold-sized door slides open and a pen rolls into a tray. She takes the pen, jabs herself, and places the pen back in the tray. The door slides shut. She'd be a real mess if her extreme emotions weren't reined in. She takes a tube car to the annex, a cheap lease part of the mall where a lot of fly-by-night stores open. It's far away from the indoor lakes and theme parks and certainly far away from the big-name stores. The ceiling is lower, and an atmosphere of disarray pervades. Most of the stores don't have adequate signs, and their display windows look hastily put together or totally disregarded. A store that sells goat dogs has put no thought into how the store looks. From the glass front, you can see a bare interior where eight dogs have been leashed to wall pegs separate from each other. More than one store sells old foldables, used rigs, and VR headsets. Stores with blocked-out windows advertise jailbreaking Luton bots and workarounds for subscription services. She finds a store called The Link Exchange and walks in. A dark hall leads to many doors. 
Red indicator bars shine on the closed doors. Finding an open door, she steps inside the booth and sits on the only chair. She shuts the door. A paper tape to the wall says, Look at the QR code to get started. Her glasses draw a box around the pixelated square. A button appears and she taps it. A screen opens and a video explains. You're now accessing the internet through another person's link. What happens in link exchange stays in link exchange. Search for your heart's desire. You'll be charged 40 cents per hour. Click the button at the bottom to finish. That's a few cents more than the last link exchange. She wonders who the person is whose link she's using. They must be in the same store with her, probably sitting in another booth. Kelly makes three searches for James Sightseer and clocks out in under three minutes. That's all she needs. She stands and exits, walking at an all-business pace. She goes on a robot-led tour of a plant where single-stage fusion rockets are being built for the first time. They look like elongated space planes, the kind that still make it to space on top of lower-stage boosters. Going on tours and doing touristy things are completely foreign to her interests. But wouldn't it look suspicious if she traveled and didn't visit sites? The others in her group ask a lot of questions and practically worship the rockets. Oh wow, how fast can it go? How many trips can one rocket make? She stays in the back and tries not to come off as too miserable. The buzz she got during her two cocktail lunch is wearing thin and her eyes are starting to hurt. Fusion rockets have been used in space, but the reason these can take a plane up to orbit is they use a long chain fuel that burns twice. The first burn brings the fuel up to extremely high temperatures where the remaining molecules ignite again, turning into plasma at the moment it squeezes through a pinhole size exit where fusion reactions explode out of the nozzle. Some say it burns three times if you want to consider the fusion reaction as a burn. All super nifty and her feet hurt. She suspects the femme nearest to her has farted several times. Why does the femme choose to stand near Kelly to fart? In the evening, Kelly takes a tube and overhears another passenger say, Me go outside? I haven't been outside in two years. He laughs. Kelly tries to recall if she's even been outside in the week that she's been in Rocket Alley. No, she has not. She's been in a cab that went outside, but she got in the cab in the hotel's indoor passenger dock. By the time she gets to her hotel room on the 17th floor, the sunset burns orange through the windows. She showers. The water is pumped out of the Gulf of Mexico. A sign in the shower says, The water is sterile, but don't drink. A tiny bit gets in her mouth. It tastes like salt water. She puts on PJs, lies down, and fits her transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS, headset on. These kinds of headsets used to be gimmicky, but with pseudo-superconductors, they create powerful magnetic fields that have undeniable effects on brain states. No matter how worked up or stressed out Kelly feels, the headset always changes her brainwaves to a state where she falls asleep in seconds. Utilizing pseudo-superconductivity, a process discovered in tree leaves, has led to the improvement of another brain-related device, the MRI. An MRI used to take up an entire room. 
Now, the MRI cap is cumbersome, with many tubes coming off it and going into a tabletop component the size of a desktop printer. But it's a lot less cumbersome, and it can now run on wall socket power. The wearer can take smart particles that pass through the blood-brain barrier. The protein smart particles change shape depending on chemical and charge states in the brain and help the MRI see into the brain with incredible resolution. AI trained on MRI data can determine what the wearer is thinking. There are cases where a wearer is able to use the device to wordlessly tell a story, play a video game, and shop online. The tech has its limits. The AI is guessing what the wearer is thinking, so it isn't direct transfer of information. The courtroom is packed. People look about with wide eyes. Hushed murmurs fill the air. Some notable news figures stand near the back. Dr. Cross finishes speaking with the prosecuting lawyer. He walks to and stands in front of the jury. He says, Now that the jury has been selected, I'm here to prep you on MRI technology. MRI has been used in many cases, but this is the first case, in the absence of hard evidence such as DNA trails, where it plays a key role. This is a high-profile case and will shape how cases are handled from now on. So, I'll educate you on live TV on the viability of MRI readings. I hope to convince you that with the present state of the technology, there's no such thing as a false reading. This is not hocus-pocus. We can see brain patterns and they can give us factual information about what people are thinking. Dr. Cross then has a jury member, a middle-aged man wearing a multicolor sweater, sit under the MRI cap. Cross holds a stack of photos, face down. He takes the first photo off the top and shows it to the wearer. The juror blinks rapidly. The MRI over a speaker says, A sunset over water. Cross turns, showing the photo to everyone in the room. Sure enough, it shows the sun touching lake water. People gasp. Some chuckle. Cross says, The AI has been trained on thousands of hours of MRI scans. He shows the next photo. The juror looks at it with a confused expression. The MRI says, Scary spider on a web with drops of water. Cross holds the photo high and turns so all can see a dew-covered spider web, glistening in the morning sunlight. He asks the wearer, Have you ever been scanned by an MRI before? The juror says, No, sir. Cross looks at the other jurors and says, What you're witnessing are accurate results from a cold reading. The results can be trusted as much as the judicial system has come to trust DNA evidence. He shows a third photo to the wearer who blushes. The MRI says, Hot mom in the kitchen. Cross represses a smile as he presents the photo to the court, a stocky femme chef at a kitchen counter prepping for a gourmet meal. After showing the juror 20 photos and getting matching descriptions, Cross asks the wearer, Sir, please state your full name. The wearer says, Keto Talbert. He sits up straighter and scrunches his nose as he sniffs. Cross says, is Keto Talbert your name? Keto says, yes. Cross says, when I ask the next question, I want you to answer no. Is your name Kilo Talbert? Keto hesitates. He makes eye contact with the judge. He says, no. The MRI says, the subject is lying. Kilo shifts as if he might stand. Uncomfortable murmurs pass through the room. Cross says, 
I think the jurors, the rest of the court, and even the rest of the world are starting to appreciate the accountability of this technology. Kilo blurts out, It's reading my mind. Cross asks all the jurors, one by one, to wear the MRI cap and undergo testing. The results are eerily accurate. Not once does the MRI misread. The four walls of the court can play high-resolution, semi-holographic video, and prosecuting lawyer Claudia Husk shows photos on the walls as she speaks in the middle of the courtroom. The walls show a portrait of a middle-aged white man with a hard expression. She says, This is James Sightseer. He was married and raised three children. He worked for right-wing think tanks. He was murdered last year in the guest house behind his house by his intimacy doll. The intimacy doll was being remote operated during the time of the murder. We have reason to believe that his murder was politically motivated. The picture changes to one of James on a gray carpet next to a luxury bed with the sex doll fallen halfway off him, its arm still near his throat. His throat is a mess of torn tissue. Blood splatter covers everything and a red puddle soaks the carpet. People in the court stifle cries of disgust. Husk says, you can see that his death must have been tortuous and painful. Not only did James remove cams and session recording hardware from the doll, but we found malware traces in the doll's computers that indicate all mechanisms of storing and sending event data were thoroughly disabled. The crowd breathes sighs of relief when the image changes to the outside of a building. A sign on the building says, Lolly Industries. Husk says, AIs control the dolls, but many owners prefer real humes remotely acting through the dolls. Companies hire operators who control intimacy dolls. When this is done through a legitimate company, sessions are encrypt recorded and names and times are logged. Whoever operated the doll during the killing used a controller on the dark net. James may have helped with this level of anonymity, wanting to hide his involvement. We all hear stories of a politician's career upending due to scandal, even perfectly legal scandals. Over 50 remote operators who worked in the DC area at the time of Sightseer's death come to the court and stand in line. The court can see only five at the head of the line. The rest of the line extends down a hall that's been closed off from everyone else. A cop bot leads the pleasure worker from the front of the line to the MRI chair. Attractive in a rugged sort of way, the femme looks at the MRI cap like it's some sort of joke prop, but she sits. She seems unfazed by the hundreds of eyes upon her. Dr. Cross fits a sanitary cap over the femme's head and then places the MRI cap on top of that. The femme's eyes roll up to look at Cross and she says, You're not going to shock me, are you? Laughter crops up in the court. Cross shakes his head without a smile. He stands back and waits as the machine establishes base patterns. The MRI says, I'm ready. Cross holds a photo of Sightseer out to the femme and he asks, Do you know this person? The femme studies the picture and says, Not that I remember. Cross nods. He pulls the caps off her head and says, You're free to go. She looks back and forth at him and the cop bot and says, Really? That's it? I waited six hours for that. More laughter. 
Cross says, I'm afraid so. With a huff, she heads for the exit. The next person in line takes the test and many more after her. There's no noticeable characteristic of a remote prostitute. Maybe one out of six is male. One male looks as unpolished and stout as a coal miner. Word must spread down the line that the interrogation involves one question because most of them seem relaxed and cooperate patiently. Cross shows each the photo. Do you know this person? Sometimes the subject only glances at the photo for a second and shakes their head. Cross doesn't try to get them to take a closer look at it. When Kelly walks to the seat, she keeps a straight posture and her face moves little. She doesn't look around at her surroundings. Cross asks her, Do you know this person? Kelly's eyes rest on the photo for many seconds. She says, No, sir. The AI says, The femme lies. Kelly's demeanor doesn't change. The restless audience suddenly comes to attention. People swallow the spit in their mouths. Reporters stand. The judge reaches for her gavel. Cross pinches his lips together and holds his breath. Kelly did recognize the scene of Sightseer's death. She did understand how to change settings on someone's doll without them knowing. The MRI can tell. Old-fashioned circumstantial evidence backs up the MRI's statement that this femme caused Sightseer to die. Her employment at Lolly Industries ended, but her bank account still brought in steady income soon after he bought the doll. Posted pictures and videos show her regularly attending demonstrations that opposed Sightseer's political ventures. An audit of her link shows her downloading Darknet software. She covered encrypted cams before his death and uncovered them after, even though she was alone in her home at the time. Cams in the public hall show she didn't leave her home and no one visited her. She quit working the day after his death. Law Navigator advises her to plead guilty, and when she does, a suffocating sensation falls away from her. In an orange jumpsuit, she walks down the hall of Detroit Femmes Prison, more relaxed than she was before. A cop bot walks in front of her, and one walks behind. Because she's a cybercriminal, her link ear canal implants are removed, and she no longer has her AR glasses. The naked world feels penal to her. The gray walls around her are her punishment. Femmes occupy cages she passes. Most don't notice her. The bots slow to a stop, forcing her to stop. One bot says, Inmate Tessa Page, step away from the bars. A femme, a little person who doesn't look hardened, puts down a book, stands back, and looks down. The barred door slides open. The bot says, Inmate Kelly Ramsey, enter the cell. After the door shuts and the bots walk off, the small femme sits back down and opens her book. Two stacks of books stand next to the wall. Kelly takes a deep breath as silently as possible and sits down on the other narrow bed. She looks up at the tiny window too high up to reach. She should put off worrying about anything until after 24 hours when she has some idea what this place will be like. The other femme says, It's not so bad in here. This is the cybercrime wing. Kelly reluctantly makes eye contact and nods. Something seems slimy about the little femme on the other cot. She's probably a career criminal who tricked old ladies out of their retirement.
Thank you for listening. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is in 20xx.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes an illustrated timeline and glossary.